All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Flu Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie. Well, this week, my guest is going to be Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley, uh, head coach over at Boston College, guy that I've gotten to know a little bit and really excited about what he's doing over there at BC and getting them playing great football. Transfer quarterback Phil Jakovic came over and football at Boston College is on the uptick. It's fun to watch. Exciting atmosphere. I was at the Missouri game this year where they won an overtime and it was just a blast to be around. Coach Halfley reminded me that today is November 23rd, which is the 37th anniversary of the Hail Mary pass that Gerard Phelan did not drop. So thank goodness for that, Gerard. Thank you so much. Gerard is actually, we're still good friends. We've been friends forever. Uh, he married his college girlfriend, uh, Lisa, well, Lisa Phelan, Lisa Pacella. I actually remember. So anyway, we're all real still close. Uh, we'll text each other. We usually text each other on the day after Thanksgiving because it happened on the Friday day after Thanksgiving. So it'll be like, hey, Gerard, nice catch. Hey, Doug, nice throw. And we're off and running. But uh, I did find a new twist. I've mentioned this before on uh, on our podcast that on the 35th anniversary, I started doing a bunch of interviews and, and looked at some different angles. And the tight end who told me he was open on the backside, sure enough, I actually have a picture now of our tight end on the 10-yard line on the backside. I rolled to the right. The backside corner drifted across, bumps into the free safety, ball goes through, Gerard catches it. That backside corner should have been home. I could have put my foot in the ground, thrown the ball back across the field, and Peter Casparillo would have been the hero walking into the end zone or the GOAT if he dropped it. Uh, let's see what happened over the weekend in the NFL. Uh, I guess the number one thing was Cam Newton getting his first start, getting back on the field. Cam looked fresh. He ran hard. He threw the ball well. High percentage completions, just under 200 yards. He had uh, something like 20 to 25 for, for 200 or just shy of 200. But again, the same things for Cam. Um, I think he looked so fresh. He ran hard. He was excited about playing. He actually threw some nice little seam balls, which are semi up the field, like 15-yard, 18-yard passes in the air. But again, my, my issue with Cam is he, he really can't hit the downfield ball. He can't throw the ball up over the top anymore. Um, he'll make you competitive. He, he battles. He, and it was very obvious, his enthusiasm for playing the game and, and back on the field. He's going to make them competitive while he's in there. But it just, the game came down to he needed a two-minute drive. And a two-minute drive, it's time to turn it loose and throw the ball on every down. Um, one, maybe two first downs, and it just it, it just stalled out in a hurry because they couldn't get the ball up the field. Fourth down play, uh, Cam actually ended up getting sacked, didn't get the ball in the air. But he uh, methodically moving the ball down the field, using the quarterback run game, throwing the short passing game, uh, looked very efficient, moving the football. And I was happy for Cam to be on the field. And he played well. He really did. It just came down the end. They couldn't put the two-minute drive together and go win it. Uh, other thing, let's go back to Tom Brady. Tom Brady bouncing back last night or uh, on Monday Night Football. Uh, Tampa Bay looks like they're ready to put it all together and start making that run. I know they lost two in a row. It's amazing. Tom Brady has not lost three games in a row since 2002, something like 380 games, 381 games. Um, I'm, I was surprised when he lost two in a row. Uh, the, the game a couple of weeks back, he had a chance with the ball in the two-minute situation, needed a touchdown drive, something we see Tom do all the time, and it just didn't happen that week. Ended up throwing a pick. So that kind of threw a wrench in his, his – uh, it looked – after having a bad game last week, they got beat up two weeks in a row, and, and he would not allow it to, to happen a third time. 
with that receiving core, with their ability to run. I don't think they ran the ball as much as they did the week before, but they do have the ability to hammer the football, get into nasty weather if necessary, run the football, and be a playoff caliber team. The question mark for them is going to be defense. It's going to be uh, banged up in the secondary. How do they bounce back defensively? How They're not as strong as they were a year ago defensively, but with Tom at quarterback, I believe they're going to, They'll be in a position to make a real, real strong run at it again. Uh, part of that, uh, you know, you, I've talked the last couple of weeks about NFL teams getting back to the run game, how things are cy- cyclical, and it's been such a finesse, throw the football game, finesse, throw the football. Well, the teams that are running the ball well are starting to win, and it was obvious with the Titans. I think this weekend the two new teams that were welcome to that is Indy and Philly both hammering the football and and looking impressive doing it. That's becoming a big part of the game, especially as you get towards playoffs, get towards bad weather football. Um, New England Patriots, Mac Jones, and I'll get the bad weather football in a second with the Bills, but Mac Jones continuing to improve. The, the Patriots continuing to win football games. They move to seven and four. They step ahead of the Bills at six and four. The Bills look, look really shaky the last few weeks. Did not play well. And amazing to me, I talk about bad weather football. Um, big guys, I always felt I had an advantage being a little guy and mobile and take off and run because when it was nasty weather and the wind was howling and it was hard to throw the ball up the field, I could still take off and run for first downs. Now, I didn't have the big, strong arm to cut the ball through the wind like some of these big quarterbacks. And that's who I think Josh Allen is. I think Josh Allen is a guy that can cut the ball through the wind, throw the ball in bad weather, and take off and run as well. And that's not happening with him in bad weather. I thought he played I, – I, and I do – I love Josh Allen. I think he's a great quarter. I think he's going to get the Bills to the, to the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe not this year. Uh, I was thinking earlier that it, it should be this year. Um, and maybe they'll right the ship and get it going. But I think he's struggling throwing the ball in bad weather. I, it, it just amazes me. Like big guys, usually the grip on the ball stays consistent and they can cut it through the wind. Um, he, he had some inaccurate throws that appeared to me because of the nasty weather condition. It was a windy, gross, rainy day, all that. And uh, that's usually where those big guys thrive, gripping the ball and turning it loose. So big shift in the AFC East over the last three weeks. And uh, the Patriots, <laughs> the Patriots again. I, it's it's fun to watch for me because these are teams that I follow a lot. And um, I, I, you know, Tom Brady had a chance to prove he didn't necessarily need Bill Belichick to win, and now Bill Belichick's trying to prove or, or showing that hey, uh, I'll do it with a rookie quarterback. It's uh, that time of year where we start talking about Heisman. I had to run and get my Heisman back in the in the shot. I know this is primarily audio for everyone, but I've got some video running anyway. So um, doing all my I, – I did some friends' podcasts from the other room, and I had to last second move the Heisman in here because I wanted to talk about Heisman. Uh, big weekend for both Ohio State and Alabama coming up. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan this week. Uh, Alabama and the Iron Bowl with Auburn uh, should not be a contest. I mean, it it shouldn't. Alabama should blow them out, but it never happens in the Iron Bowl. So uh, from a a Heisman standpoint, C.J. Stroud, how about this? Stepping on the field and going in the first half. He he throws for 432 yards, 32 of 35 and six touchdowns in the first half. Uh, 
it, it was over Michigan State. It was a good football team. It was supposed to be a great game. It turns into a blowout. And C.J. Stroud, you know, it's like we talk about Heisman and it's uh, who's on the national championship caliber team and throws for the most yards and numbers. And that's kind of what it turns into. But it's also you put yourself in that position because you're winning on a big stage. And last week, last this past weekend, he turned it up. I mean, the, it, it wasn't 32 or 35 and it wasn't dump the ball off, throw wide receiver screens, dump it to the half. These were downfield throws. They were post routes. They were go routes. They were seam routes. They balls putting it between defenders. Now, I will say this. Ohio State's got fantastic receivers. They got NFL caliber receivers, big time guys. And I was, uh, you know, I, I've I've watched from a distance and haven't really dove into it, but I know Heisman's coming up and I got to pay attention now and, and I'm going to have a Heisman vote. And I thought, oh my goodness, he just won the Heisman this weekend. You know, Des Howard and I are uh, talking a couple of weeks ago about whether they even give a Heisman this year. It's like Des wants somebody. This was a game where you had to watch C.J. Stroud throw the football, and it, it was impressive. I mean, I, I I always joke that I can't complete 10 in a row in practice, and these guys are 32 or 35 and six touchdowns and a half, and, and C.J. really lit it up and is going to be even on the bigger stage this week playing Michigan. So this is his time. I think he jumped up a notch to maybe be the front runner. And with a big game against Michigan, could could solidify it. Uh, that being said, Bryce Young is the other guy. Bryce Young over at Alabama. Now I'm thinking, okay, Bryce Young's just an Alabama quarterback. Alabama's always good. They're going to be in the mix. So whoever plays quarterback for Alabama has a shot at winning the Heisman. Um, now Bryce Young gets in a game with Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked 21. Now now Stroud did against a number seven Michigan State, but Bryce Young against Arkansas. That's the one thing about Alabama this year is defensively they're giving up some points and they've had some battles, um, which allowed Bryce Young to throw the ball the entire game and have to stay aggressive and, and have some pressure situations. Uh, he, turned, he, he turns in a performance of 560, 561 yards and five touchdowns and sets an Alabama record for yards passing. Right? I finally decide, I've seen the number, I saw the video on, on Stroud and like, okay, he's going to be the front runner. Now, there, there's, there are different ways of getting it done. And for Bryce Young, he makes all those throws. He can throw the ball up the field. And again, Alabama has those same type of receivers where his receivers are better than the defensive backs. They're going to get open. But he throws the ball. Uh, he, 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 he is, he's got good timing as far as getting the ball out and getting it on the timing routes, the outs, the curls, the slants, things of that nature. He's not always set in his feet where Stroud looks more like an NFL style quarterback in the way he's delivering the ball. Both these guys, usually both these guys have plenty of time to stand there and throw the football and protect it. Uh, I've seen situations where Bryce Young hasn't been protected. He's got unbelievable feet in the pocket. He takes off and moves maybe a little early. He reminding me of me a little bit. If it's not there, you kind of move towards number two, number three guy, and, and you, you shuffle those feet and take off. But I'll tell you what, his quickness and agility and the ability to throw the football without his feet set, the ability to throw the football out of an awkward position, stuff we see uh, from Patrick Mahomes at the NFL level, but his exceptional quickness. And he still... I, he hung in there, took a shot, and delivered a ball down the rail on the outside once. He hit the downfield throws. Uh, really exciting to watch. I, I think he's just a phenomenal athlete, a quarterback, 
that's got some toughness to him and can make those downfield throws. C.J. Stroud, still a little more prototypical for an NFL-type quarterback where he stood in the pocket and just sliced it up down the field. So both those guys, big games this weekend. Uh, the Heisman watch is on, the race is on, and it's finally kind of a picture coming clear as the top two guys. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flicks cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. Jeff Halfley, coming up. Well, I'd like to welcome Coach Jeff Halfley of Boston College. Uh, kind of already a hero of mine because he's bringing some enthusiasm back to BC. Ohio State guy jumping over. Ohio State had a big win this weekend. They're starting to make some noise. Ohio State, Michigan thing happening. Um, just, uh, Coach, you just brought something up to me that I absolutely forgot. I was doing some of the recording for this podcast, and it is November 23rd. What the heck November does that November 23rd. Congrats, oh 37 years. 37 years feels like yesterday uh it, it the memory is as fresh as yesterday the arm is not the back I'm is sure not the is. knees are not um we're talking about the hail mary pass uh the completion i had to gerard failing against miami um that i you know what's funny is i haven't done any interviews about it this year none and uh coach brought it up so now he's gonna make me go back and redo my open and, and add some stuff to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were uh, driving in this morning, seeing the statue like we do every morning. Uh, uh, we were all thinking about you. And, and uh, shoot, it's what got this place going. We all know that. Oh, I appreciate it, Coach. How's it going? Do you got any hammers in the bag for yourself? And how about your quarterback, Phil Jacobic? Good to have Phil back. Um, you, know, you want to talk about a tough guy, Doug, a guy you probably can relate to. I know you played through a lot, and I don't know how many quarterbacks are as tough as, as you were. Um, the guy's got like 50% grip strength in his hands and, you know, he's healed well enough to come back and confident. The doctor, a great doctor told us that, you know, he wouldn't further hurt it. And he came up and said, I'm playing. And, uh, imagine playing quarterback with 50% of your grip strength and you can see it, you know, in a couple of those balls in the last game that he couldn't step in and really drive because he doesn't, he can't really snap it. Um, he's better off on the touch ones down the field or probably running the ball a little bit too much and taking too many hits. Um, but that's what he has to do to help us win right now. And, um, he's choosing to do so, but I can't say enough about his toughness and about his will to win and, and be there for his players and team. And it's inspiring. Yeah. You say it's inspiring. And that's where I was headed was, it just looks like the team believes a little more when he, even if he can't make some of the throws or do some of the things that, that he can do, uh, how's that impact the rest of the team? I just think it gave him hope. You know, we, we kind of, we started off really hot and then we hit a rut. And we couldn't score many points. Thought the defense was playing pretty good. And he comes back against Virginia Tech. Kind of no one knows he's going to come back. And truthfully, until that Tuesday practice, I don't even think the team knew he was going to come back. And it almost hit the reset button on the season. Um, you know, we went, obviously, we beat, Georgia, we beat Georgia Tech, but we were down 21-7. And it never felt that way because it seemed like the team always thought we could come back. Whereas there were some games earlier in the year when we went down, it was like I was trying to rally the guys myself. and will them to continue to, to fight through it and make a play. And there was just none of that. I mean, all of a sudden we're winning 28, 21 and we win and shoot, we didn't play well against Florida state well enough to win. It's 26 to three. And then suddenly we're driving to win with two minutes left in the game on the 40 yard line. Um, he just brings that hope. We can score at any moment. He makes the players around him better. He makes a defense better. And Doug, he definitely makes me better. 
<laughs> well, I guess, you know, it, it's like you, you were just referring to, it just feels like you just run out of time sometimes. It's like, this game is never over. I, I, I know that the way we felt when I was back at BC, we were down big to Penn State, but we kept scoring. And you stay into the end of the game, and all of a sudden you look up at the scoreboard and there's a shot. You just keep going and going, and then sometimes you do just run out of time. Uh, you know, I know you talk about his grip strength. Um, I was at Marled, and because I knew this going in, and you and I had talked on the sideline just before the Virginia Tech game, and all of a sudden he throws this corner route. He threw the corner route to Zay Flowers over the top, high angle corner. Safety might be getting in the picture. Corners on the outside. Direct an NFL quarterback. No one in the NFL could have placed that ball any more perfectly. He's got that ability, doesn't he? As an yeah. NFL prototype, he, he's he's got that touch to him. Um, even a couple of the ball placements in the Georgia Tech game on the third and long backed up, he kind of threw open on the on the B line on the Algo special. He kind of threw mm -hmm. open Trey Berry. Um, it's like watching the Patriots last night, you know, the guy's playing too far up above and Brady throws it behind him. I mean, those are things that you got to have and you know better than me. Um, he's got that ability to, to really make those accurate throws. Um, and like I said, it's just like those, those dig routes and those, he just can't really step in and get those as well right now, but his touch, it's something else. You combine that with his ability to run and escape the pocket and people kind of seem to bounce off the guy. It's hard to tackle now, does he have another year of eligibility now with all the COVID stuff and everything? He does. He's got another year, um, you know, so we're hopeful, you know, he comes back, gets healthy and just, you know, Phil's only played maybe 14 games. And, you know, Doug, that, po that position's about experience and you better be ready. You better be ready to go play in the other league. So the, the more the more reps we can get him, the more experience we can get him. I think he's got a chance to be a really special player in the future. Well, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Phil Djokovic. Phil was a quarterback that went to Notre Dame, did not see the field. And I remember seeing Phil as a true freshman at Notre Dame with deer in the headlights and spring game and not, you know, just he had a, a freshman offensive line in front of him and he's getting harassed. And I've seen his development. Now, he's got another year. This guy if if things go the way they could go, we could be talking about him in the Heisman mix next year. I firmly believe that because he's done, like you said, the difference between him on the field and when he's been off the field at BC. So just for everyone out there, it's not just a Homer thing with with the, you know rooting for my Boston College Eagles and all that. I'm really excited about what could happen for Phil and NFL and everything else. What are some of the biggest challenges? You, know, you went from a school that was all about football to BC, what were some of your biggest challenges when you came over? Well, the biggest challenge was we took the team over right before the pandemic hit. Um, so it was really hard to get to know the players, which, you know, is probably the most important mm -hmm. thing, um, you know, which I think the guys did a great job. I think the staff did a good job. Um, you know, next, try to implement our systems, you know, new offense, new defense, new special teams. It takes some time uh, with players who haven't played in it, which, again, I, I think they've done, you know, they've done a pretty good job. And then just building our culture. Um, and trying to build it the way we envision it and to get these guys to believe that they can go out and win every single game. And just like you said, I don't care what the score is. We're going to get you in the fourth. If that's what we have to do. It's just the belief and the confidence that we're going to go out and we expect to win every single game. And I still think we're getting there. I think the guys do believe. I think they're playing with confidence. I think they're having fun together. Um, we're trying to play an exciting brand of football. Uh, defensively, I think we're taking some huge steps. 
Um, you know, but we still have a ways to go as we build this. I want to build it the right way, Doug, where, you know, it's consistent year after year after year. And to do that, it's, it's going to take some hard work and some time, but I'm excited. And they've been supportive here. Father Leahy, Pat Kraft, the alumni like you, the ex-players, uh, people are excited. And I'm just really grateful for that. I tell you, I, I never thought I'd see the day. Um, the practice facility, the, the indoor practice facility that was built at Boston College. It's very exciting for me to see that the commitment, as you were just talking about, of the university to the athletic program and to specifically football. Okay, I got to tell old man story. When we played, it was wooden bleachers, 32,000 seat stadium. You entered, there was a track that went around the field and there was a chain link fence between the track and the field. Okay, at halftime, we had to go across the street, up a hill to get to the locker room across the street. The locker room was the size of like not even your high school locker rooms now. Then I walk into the locker room post game. All right. I walk in post game of the Virginia Tech win. The guys have their own faces and images on that. They're lit up lockers. Things are flashing. Lights are flashing. It's like a disco in there. And then you plus you got the state-of-the-art facility over there for the indoor facility talk about the facilities a little bit and yeah what that does for um again the, the locker room was the the indoor was just built a few years ago which was needed um really needed for a lot of things for practice reasons for training in the off season strength and conditioning um you got anything you can invest where your players are going to get something out of that's the most important thing they just redid our locker room and i'm grateful for all the donations of all the guys who helped uh, they just redid the the training room, the Barry Gallup. Uh, we named it after Barry, Barry Gallup, who is one of the greatest people I've ever been around. Um, so that's a state-of-the-art training facility so the, the players can go in there, the injured players, recovery, staying healthy. Um, and then the locker room, it's just, to me, if you're going to recruit at a high level, Doug, um, you know, I, I think there's something to being in a small wooden locker room. There's a toughness about that. But at the same time, I'm going to bring in some 17 and 16 year olds to compare what they're seeing over out at Clemson and over out at some of these other schools. Um, we got to have it. And um, the school's been awesome in seeing that and noticing that, you know, we've put together two potential top 25 recruiting classes and we, we need it. And like I said, I'm very grateful to have it. I know that's not the most important thing, uh, but we got to have those things if we're going to compete at a high level. And that's what the, you know, the young kids see that they see a little bit of the flash and the glitz and the glam, and they love seeing their picture up there on their locker. You know, this is my locker. This is my area. Um, and I, I was just blown away. I mean, I saw an upgrade from before and uh, to see that facility just kind of, kind of blew me away. Looking forward down the road to college football, a lot of talk about playoffs, uh, you know, I, the, the picture for, you know, the playoff picture in college football, what do you I, name and likeness? Uh, what does that do with BC compared to big, bigger programs, or I wouldn't say bigger programs, but the, the SEC and, the, and the, the marquee guys, uh, that and maybe the potential to expand the playoff. What are, sure. what are your views um, on those things? Yeah, the name, image, and likeness I'm a fan of. Um, I do believe, um, you know, if the players have the ability to get paid for that. Um, at the same time, I just do not want it to become a distraction. I think here, Doug, we're very fortunate where it's not a distraction. I think if certain players are picked out and all of a sudden, you know, an incoming player is making a million dollars and he hasn't proved anything yet, or he hasn't done anything yet. And he's sitting in the locker room next to the starter and the starter's not getting anything. I think that can cause some resentment. And I also think Doug, it puts a lot of pressure 
on a young kid who now has money. And I think about some of the NFL rookies that I coached. Some of those NFL rookies would come up to me and be like, hey, coach, you know, my family's calling me. My friends are calling me. I don't know how to say no. They all want something. Imagine being 18 with money and your college friends asking for stuff and the distractions that it creates. I'm more in favor of, you know, trying to get everybody something little and uh, trying to get everybody a piece of the pie and, and, uh, you know, letting them benefit for that. Certainly if, you know, a guy like Phil comes back and he's up for, I I get that too. And our team's got to respect that for what he's done on the field. Um, I think we got to be careful. I think it can't create distractions. I think I'm fortunate to be at BC where it won't. Um, but, but I'm glad that the opportunities there, I think there needs to be more guardrails on it. So it doesn't get totally blown over the top. Cause I think we're going to ruin some of these kids. Um, so that's kind of my thought there. I, I do think there's a need to expand the college playoff. Um, you know, I personally would love to see the winner of a, a power five conference, have the opportunity to go and, um, you know, play, um, you know, I think those things, I think those things are huge. I think it gives more people an opportunity. I mean, shoot, you would have loved that opportunity. Just oh. like, imagine how much money you would have made after that Hail Mary, Doug. We'd be like, <laughs> I would have like just king of the NIL. I love the fact, well, no doubt there, that, that would have been fun to see. I, and I, t- I talk about this, Coach. I talk about, I came from nothing. You know, we, my, I knew when my dad's paycheck came in because it was coming in on every two weeks on Friday. And I knew by that Wednesday, there was no food in the house, right? There was, yeah, I, when I got to BC and I got three meals a day and I could go eat anytime I wanted, that was a big deal to me. I didn't need money in my pocket. I didn't, I, I, so I can't relate to now the kids today, you know, you, they need the, the newest iPhone, they need the newest tablet, the newest, this, the newest, that their video game status and the amount of money that the, you know, all that stuff is like, that's the, that's the bar. That's the minimum. And so yeah. when they get money in their pocket, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different world and all the power to them if they can. But I, I always worried about the inconsistency of, of, of one player to another. There's no guarantee a player is going to be a starter or wind up contributing to the program. Um, and then the haves and have nots of, of SEC style schools that have these alumni that are all about football and that's all they care about. So, so that's a little bit of a concern of mine. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think the one thing that people do lose sight of, like you said, is it costs about $75,000 a year to go to Boston College, one of the best academic schools in the entire country. Um, and we got all those students back there paying. Um, our guys are getting that for free. That's $75,000 times four or five. And they're getting their meals and they're getting their clothing and their, um, you know, that's, they're, they're getting more than a lot of us did. I mean, I had my student loans going back for a long time. And now I wasn't as athletic as these guys, but part of me thinks that as well. But at the, at the same time, if um, they want to give these guys the opportunity to make some money off of what they're doing, um, more power to them. We just, we just got to be careful. It, it, we cannot let it be a distraction or they're not going to play well. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine having a, a good chunk of money in my pocket during my college years. You know, the, the ability to be disciplined enough not to spend it on stupid things or just, you know, help with friends or whatever it is. Um, it's a big responsibility. Um, there's got to be a position for those schools where, where kids are in that position. There's going to have to be a position at the university for someone to oversee that and, and to cater to them and, and, and talk to them and counsel them. Um, I guess uh, looking forward to Boston College now. And uh, how about the fact that bowl eligible again? And what does that mean? 
to you and your program, the extra practices, the young players that might see the field? Uh, what does it mean to you? Well, I think you just said it. One, I think it's a good reward that the players deserve. Um, I think anytime you can go away together and spend time together away from campus, enjoy each other's families, have them get to know our families. Um, and I want it to be fun. I, I don't want this to be a bowl where we just go out there and practice and meet and practice and meet. And I told them that. I mean, they've earned this. And let's go enjoy it. Now, let's be smart. Our guys have done everything I've asked them to do. So let's go have fun. Let's go be smart and let's work when we have to work. But let's really enjoy the opportunity to get away together. Um, I think leading up to that, Doug, I think that's where we got to put in the work. That's where we get our younger players. And there's a lot of them that we can get them a lot of good practice reps where it's almost like having a second spring ball. And that's going to help us get a lot of our young guys ready faster to play next season. Um, but once it comes time for bowl week, I really I want to really enjoy it with the guys and go out and, and hopefully get another win. Well, I, I love that mentality. I, I understand that mentality because that's what Coach Bicknell did with that. When we went to a bowl trip, it was a reward. And right. the, uh, the those experiences of hanging out together for that week and the closeness, the, the bonding that comes around, and like you said, even the families spending time together. Well, I don't want to hold you up too long, Coach, but thank you so much for, for your time. I wish you all the best. Uh, maybe I'll see you on the bowl trip and I'll be around campus. So thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me. No, I appreciate it. It's really cool that you always come to the games. It's always cool turning around. I feel like sometimes you're actually on the field with us. Uh, your, your support to me means more than you know. Uh, congrats again, November 23rd, 37 years ago. You, you changed this whole place. And, you know, because of moments like that, I'm here and able to do what I'm doing. So I'm grateful. I'm a big fan. And uh, your support means everything. So thanks for having me on. And hopefully we'll see you at the bowl game. Will do. Sounds good, Coach. Thanks so much. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, guys. All right, I want to thank my guest, Jeff Halfley. Jeff's doing a fantastic job over at BC and, and got us off. All the alumni are fired up again about Boston College football, which is good to see and, and created quite an atmosphere on campus. Let's jump over to some Twitter, uh, Twitter questions, see what's happening out there and see what people want to talk about. Each and every week, Doug throws up the bat signal around Monday, asks for your questions, tweet in. This week, we got a whole bunch of people coming in. It must be the holidays, right? People people excited. They got nothing going on. They got nothing going on until they're home listening to the podcast. That's what's going on now, right. right? Keeping it Thanksgiving, keeping it being thankful. Jed wants to know, outside of your parents, in quotes, the real goats, who are you most thankful for slash field had the biggest impact on your career? And development as an athlete you know uh definitely the parents were number one and that's that's great for him to point that out um number two my high school football coach tom lamb um was a guy that when i came up to the high school i was low i weighed like 160 pounds and i was small but he really saw something in me that i didn't even see in myself i became a starting quarterback right away he put a lot in my hands he allowed me to call things at the line of scrimmage we'd go some two minute where i call my own play stuff like that like really started to trust me and may help that helped me develop as far as the mental aspect of the game and moving forward and confidence level and then the same principle at boston college um tom Coughlin was my offensive coordinator at Boston College. Tom Coughlin taught me the X and O's of the game. He taught me to be disciplined. And that really, um, just from a mental standpoint of the game of football, uh, accelerated it for me. 
The fun part about it, and I brought this up a few weeks ago, the fun part was I had Tom during the week who worked me, made me disciplined, scared me in practice. I was afraid to make a mistake. And then on game day, he'd be upstairs. I had coach Jack McNell on the sideline, wrapping his arm around me, laughing and joking, bump fist, you know, whatever. Um, and it really made for a great dynamic, which allowed me to be successful in college. And it was the college career that, that you know, excelled everything or shot everything off to what, what my career wound up being. So I was very thankful for the people I had around me at the college level. And my high school coach was the number one guy. No doubt about it. That's awesome. It's always the coaches. Anyway, Noel Mitchell chimes in and he wants to know, I was wondering about the drop kick. Everybody always wants to know about the drop kick with the Pats. <laughs> uh, can you go into detail about how the whole situation came about? Also, was it talked about before the game? I'll tell you what, it was a stupid ass thing that happened. <laughs> Chris Berman came to a, I messed around doing it all the time in, in pregames. And I think I've talked about it before, uh, but Chris Berman knew I could do it. Chris Berman went to Bill Belichick, told him about it. Bill came to me. We practiced it a couple of times and we were going to do it on a Monday night against the Jets a couple of weeks earlier. And, uh, I went in a quarterback. We moved the ball down in the scoring position, but it was going to be a long field goal attempt. We wound up not doing it. We completely forget about it for two weeks. I just happened to be standing on the side. We didn't even practice it for over two weeks. And I was standing next to Bill as the team was going in to score. Meaningless touchdown, down by 14 against Miami, about four or five minutes ago in a game. And he just saw me. And he's like, hey, we score here. You kick it. And we were off and running. I ran out on the field. I hit the, I, and it was a crapshoot. Let me tell you, the field at New England at that time was grass, but it was all dirt in the middle. It was uh, January 1, end of the year, little clumps of grass here and there in the middle of the field, for the most part, dirt. And so the drop part of the drop kick is the most important. And um, I caught, you know, I, I had a good drop. I caught it clean. I knew as soon as it hit my foot that I caught it clean and it went, it was going through. But uh, I just, <laughs> and I didn't really think about it in the moment. The scariest part of it was it's the last play of my NFL career. If I miss this thing, my wife's going to have to deal with me the rest of her life. <laughs> <and I screwed laughs> it. So anyway, I caught it clean. It went through. There was a lot that went on. The guys were excited for me. You know, the one thing I say about it is that it was the one moment where I kind of made some guys smile on the team and was a part of that team. You know, it was Tom Brady's team. I was a backup quarterback that really didn't see the field. I think I played a handful of snaps. And so it was kind of that one moment where Bill made me feel like a part of it. Wow, that's awesome. All right, a couple more here for you, Doug. Richard wants to know if you could pick one season, high school, college, or pro as your all-time favorite, what would it be? <sighs> God, that's hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think overall my senior year of college, because it, the Heisman year, the team went in the cotton bowl, we finished number four in the nation. Um, and it propelled me to an NFL career or to a, you know, a professional career. So that, that was the most fun. And, but there were, there were the, my last couple of years, all my years in Canada were a blast. And the last couple propelled me back to the NFL. My first year in Buffalo, I go to the Pro Bowl, comeback player of the year, and that is reestablishment. So there were important years, but when it's all said and done and you go back, the most fun was my senior year of college. But you know, part of that is, and, and we talk about it all the time when I bump into my old teammates, 
we didn't even know what we were doing. We were too stupid and naive to realize the stage we were on and what we were accomplishing at Boston College. We went down to Alabama, beat Alabama at Alabama, Miami at Miami. Uh, we had a bunch of big wins throughout our four years that we didn't realize the whole nation was watching us or anyone even cared. We just were having fun playing football. And it, it, what epitomizes that mentality. And I talked to Coach Bicknell about this about uh, three weeks ago. We had a reunion. And we were talking about a game we played in Clemson my sophomore year. And we go down there. Clemson's defending national champion. We tie them 17-17. We, we miss a field goal towards the end of the game that actually could have won it. And uh, we get there, and everyone was warning Coach Bicknell, don't be on the field when they come down, touch Howard's rock, and run down on the field because it's going to be so intimidating and all that. And, and I walked over to coach. I go, really? I go, if it's that cool, let's go out and watch it. You know, it's like, this is, we're not, we're not going to be here again. All right. This is, a, this is pretty cool. We're, we're at Clemson, the sea of orange. And he's like, you know, you're right. And he, so he brought the team out on the sideline. We watched him come. We were, we had guys running around grabbing clumps of grass and putting them in little baggies and take, you know, taking them home. This, this was cool to us to be in this atmosphere. We didn't, so we didn't, we didn't know to be nervous about any of it, and it really made it for a fun year. Well, I want to again thank uh, my guest, Jeff Halfley, Boston College head coach, and, and actually thank him for all he's doing at Boston College. He got everyone excited again about Boston College football, or us people in New England and BC alumni excited. I should put that. Uh, again, I'm Doug Flutie. This has been the Flutie Flicks Cast. Join me again next week, and uh, we'll see you then. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Cress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM podcasts.